This week, Pitney and I talk about exciting careers we could have had if only we'd made more of an effort, or any effort at all, in my case. Then, some talk about learning to type sends us on a tangent about a favorite Kiss album, which reminds Pitney how he and Trisha von Lichtenstein met. And I am so excited for you guys to get all woo with flower essences. who doesn't seem to want to admit that he's totally into Hamilton now. <laughs> but every time I turn around, he's showing me a YouTube video that has uh-huh. something to do with Hamilton. See, that's so cool. I lo- It's so funny. I, it's, it's like, I knew he would like it if he gave it a chance. So, so you know um, Adam Savage, the guy from Mythbusters. Yeah. So he has a, um, he has a series called Adam Savage uh, Tested, and he has another one called... Uh, one day builds that are these mm-hmm. YouTube series that he does so fucking good. I mean, it's so good for like the super nerdy wanting to know every detail about everything. You know, it's just, I mean, Oh my God. One, he did a series where he went up to the Orpheum theater in San Francisco and did all these backstage at Hamilton things. And mm-hmm. there was one that was all about, uh, interviewing the prop master and talking about how you have to keep, fixing chairs and dueling pistols and whatever because they take you know, all the wear and tear of being used every night and and just how how do you how do you get this onto the stage and how do you how does it hit its mark and all these little these fucking awesome details and you talk to the, like the the lady who makes the tiny little microphones that hide in your mm-hmm. wig and stuff and then they did one where they talked to the wig master the Orpheum Theater wig guy uh-huh. And of course he's this fabulous, like instantly recognizable as a big old queen, but he's kind of a bear. I was just going to ask you, is he a big queen? <laughs> of course. But I, but I was kind of thrilled that he was kind of, that he was kind of a, a big burly dude. I, I thought that was kind of, kind of awesome. You know, the, the kind of guy that like maybe the average person on the street wouldn't go queen, but you and I yeah. would spot him from like a hundred yards. So, uh, but he, you know, that he was talking about like King George's wig and you know, like how, how to build a wig and how, how many times a wig can be used in a show before you just have to get a new wig. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like cleaning it, restyling it, doing all this stuff. And I'm watching that, and I am just like, I mean, apart from just my normal nerd boner that I would have watching something like that, yeah, my my yearning for the days when I worked in the costume shop. Remember when I worked at Lucy in Disguise? Yeah. And yep. I worked in the department where we did makeup and wigs and hats and big latex masks and you know, pretty much if it went on your head. For the most part, mm-hmm. it was, it, you know, 
rubber noses, shit like that. So one of my, it just sort of became my job because no one else would do it. We would rent, if it was a higher quality wig that could be laundered, we would rent those and then they'd come back and they had to be kind of put back together again and and stuff back for the next person. Well, a lot of people who worked there didn't give enough of a shit about the wigs to do anything. Like they barely brush them out. And I'm like, this thing literally just went through a washing machine. It's like, it's a nightmare. So I, I used to really love, especially like when we weren't super busy and I could be at the counter doing my job, but I could be styling a wig while I was there. And of course, watching him do King George's because the colonial wigs were kind of my favorite, like the men's colonial wigs, because I just, that style it was such a, those wigs were so well made. Like you could go very kind of low key George Washington, or if you wanted to, you could, you could fucking Mozart that shit and you could make it fucking huge. And I just, I loved playing with those wigs and I'm watching this guy. And I I started thinking about how there was a time, like when I, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed styling wigs until I had to spend a lot of time styling wigs Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, while I would style them, I would just think about how how much I was enjoying it. Like, it's hair, but it's not hair that's on a person's head. So I'm dealing with hair, but not dealing with a person. Yeah, which is a good thing. That's right? kind of an <laughs> ideal situation. And, of yeah. course, when I was in junior high, like, I had, a, I had a guidance counselor who, like, I did one of those aptitude test things. And I swear to God, eighth grade, I was told flat out, you should, you should be a hairdresser. Oh, God. And I was like, so don't go to college? Is that what you're... You know, I don't think my parents are going to be okay with that. And, of course, you know, I said I said that in therapy the other day, and my therapist laughed her ass off. I know. <laughs> she was like, what kind of bullshit is that? Who tells that to a kid? You should right. be a hairdresser. She was like, based on what? What What the hell? Did... She's like, I've been talking to you for over a year. I have no idea where that came from. So, but I, but I was saying how, like... Like, I didn't, I didn't want to be a hairdresser because even though, I mean, I don't do anything to my own hair, really. You know, I don't, but that's, but spending time on my own shit versus spending time on someone else's shit, it's a whole, there's like a psychological issue going on with there. But not having to touch someone's actual head is nice. And if you kind of mess up a little bit on someone's actual hair, that is bad. That is really, really bad. Oh, yeah. As someone who, in the year 2006, received a mullet against my own will. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, we as, talked about that, too. I, yeah. think, I think we did. That was the day I realized that a lot of my self-worth was tied up in my hair. I didn't know that until suddenly I had a mullet in 2006. Like, it was the exact same haircut I had in 1986 that I suddenly had again. How many years is that? Is that 20 years? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's what... Yeah. Oh, God damn it. But, oh, yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. that well. <laughs> but, you know, if I... Ac- I mean, I would never accidentally give someone a mullet, but I understand the whole, like, oh, my God, that's not what I asked for at all. You know, and there have been times when I didn't quite get what I wanted, and it's it's infuriating, and I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that. But wigs, it's all the fun of messing with hair with none of the bullshit, and I used to fantasize about what if there was like a local theater company? Like, I wonder what that would pay. Of course, jobs in the theater, you, you don't make any money, really. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much a given. But I, I used to wonder, like, 
like, what would I make if I was responsible for, like, all the wigs in a show? You know, I used to dream about that. But as much as I felt deep in my soul that I wanted to do it, I sure as fuck did absolutely nothing to try to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I it's like, I don't know if, if, if that's common. Like, I, I want to believe that I'm not just this big loser, but, like, other people seem to have dreams and they actually try. Like, I... <laughs> do people try to go for their dreams? Because <laughs> I apparently never I did. Know. <laughs> you know, I remember, you remember, like, when I first went to college, I studied costume design, and that's what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah. And I started doing that. Somewhat, yeah. But it also, like, every professional or for money gig that I had had doing that turned into a big clusterfuck, stressful nightmare. Now, would you count as the years that you spent working for the big, the big Renaissance Festival in California? Would you, would that, were you considered a designer then or were you just making shit that was someone else's design? Uh, yeah, I was the assistant to the costume director. God, that's cool. But it was a nightmare because I hated Oh, she her. was, yeah, she was a complete bitch. And it turned something that would have been my dream job, it was a fucking nightmare. Oh, my nightmare. God. Was she the one who was obsessed with Ilsa pins? <laughs> no, no, that was my very first, that was my first sewing teacher, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope there's at least one person out there... Who who knows what it, what Ilsa pins are? Because <laughs> oh I wouldn't God. know if it wasn't yeah, for no, you. That was my very first sewing teacher, Bev. 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 Oh my God. But no, it was a nightmare. And then remember when I first moved here? Remember I was volunteering and I used to work costumes at Capital City Playhouse in Austin as a volunteer. Do you remember? Oh my God. Oh, I think I do remember that. Yeah, and I mean, that was fun. Sure, yeah. But there was no way in hell that I could have gotten a paying gig doing that because... There's not enough theater. And it was taken. It's not like this is New York where there's like thousands of theaters and they actually generate some money and so there are jobs. It's, I mean, this is is volunteer shit. other costuming work. Remember that guy, the professor from ACC that I became friends with and I did... The show for him. Oh, Midsummer Night's Dream. The park for him. It was a nightmare. Oh my god! I remember because I I was I was helping with those costumes. That was yeah. that was so much fun. Like the creative part of it was fun, but I had no connection to the work part of it. But the fact that it was just me doing an entire play's worth of costumes, and I was like, if this is how it's going to be, oh my god, no. So that kind of went by the wayside. Right. I just got in. I always sort of regret, maybe I just sort of stuck it out, the stressful grunt work. Because I remember after that, there was this woman in Austin, Buffy Manners, and she was oh, wow. a big costume designer in Austin. She's a really, really sweet lady, and I really, really liked her. And she was the designer for Shakespeare in the Park. Mm-hmm. And I had done, you know, sewing some piece work for her right. for Shakespeare in the Park before, but they had offered me to be her assistant for that year's Shakespeare in the Park. Oh, wow. And 
I regret this, but at the time I said no. Was it because, because you had just gotten done with the Midsummer Night's Dream and you were wiped out? It was out? right after the Midsummer Shit. Night Dream yeah. nightmare, and I was like, oh my God, no, I can't fucking do this. Yeah. And I really, really regret that because that maybe it could have been something. Oh my God. And I, I want you I know. want people to understand that what you did for Midsummer, like anyone who, I mean, I think most people probably read that in school or something. So they have a sense of how many characters this is and all, you know, he was not only designing the costumes, he had to make them all. He had to do all the fittings. I was building them all he, by myself. Yeah. And I mean, and the only reason why I was involved is because sometimes there's just, oh my God, can you, can you just pin this? Because you had other yeah. shit to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can do the pinning. I can pin the hem on this. I can, so yeah. I can sew the button on, I can do, you know, little stuff because I, if I didn't have a teacher in junior high that felt sorry for me, I would have failed sewing. Like sewing machines scare me hand sewing doesn't scare me but sewing machines yeah. <laughs> it's like am i gonna lose an eye like i don't how does this work and god i mean you even had a serger for a while you were so yeah, fancy and yeah. professional <laughs> you know but i you know i still i regret that because i i always wonder like you know what could my life have been had i followed through with that right and like all of your all of your like <laughs> I hear a puppy. Um, all of your associates, you know, at work, they would all be theater people. And that would yeah. completely change your world. I know. I know. Wait, hold, we you, you have a barking puppy. I don't think mom can hear it. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Oh, puppy dog. Yeah. Boutique. Yes. Um, I think we need to give them a thing, Spike. We can give them a drop that they can play on their yes. show. Yes, I think we've uh, got to find some time and get, get time to do, do that. I think we should do it right now. I think we should do it right now. Look, I'll show you how easy it is, Spike. <laughs> Watch this. I'm just going to do it live. Okay, do it live. Like that bloke screams. I'm just going to do it live. Watch this. Hi, this is Dr. Dan from the Two Skeptical... Ske I can't do it now. <laughs> I can't speak. Too much pressure. I'll try again. I'll try again. I'll try again. Take 52. Hi, this is Dr. Dan from the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast, and you are listening to the most bitchin' boutique. See? That was easy, wasn't it? Okay. They could send us one, we could play it in ass. Yeah, you yeah. Right, you do it. Yeah. Right, what do you want me to say? Whatever, whatever comes to mind. Hi, this is Spike from the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast, who ain't no bitch, but you're listening to the bitchin' boutique. Oh, that was good. I think I hope they use that. Let's see if they cut it and put it in their next show. <laughs> Diplomatic community. <laughs> Oh God! You know, thinking about being around theater people. Um, the other, you know, the other thing that I really wanted to do, and this was this started when I was a kid. I, I mean, you know, I've I've probably talked about this some because we talk about horror a lot, and. When I was little, I, you know, I was very easily scared by, by movies. Like, all you had to have was a skeleton in a movie, and I couldn't watch it anymore. Like, I mean, I was very, very easily terrified. But when I, when, I guess, like, in the 80s, when effects sort of went, like, I was always fascinated by, like, the, um, 
the Ray Harryhausen kind of stuff, like the stop motion animation. I was always, in fact, I think the Ray Harryhausen skeletons are the only ones that, in, as, as a kid, that they kind of freaked me out, but it was so cool. And I think because I knew, I knew it was fake. I knew there was a guy with these little models doing it. And I think that's why I was okay with it. But for some reason, other things messed me up. I think because things that looked a little realer, maybe. But I remember in the early 80s, um, I started really thinking about, like, people like Rick Baker and Rob Bottin and people who became very big Stan Winston in, like, practical effects and makeup effects. Uh, I started watching movies with my brain staying in the area of I know that's fake and my brain is trying to figure out how they did it. Like how see yeah, see that's what I used to love is I mean I know costuming and that is different, but I used to love being like, how the fuck did they did that? And my brain would always go into like this is how it could be done. Right. I like when I first you know? learned yeah. when I first read the phrase air bladder in an in interview with, I think it was with Rob Bottin, actually. Because um, I think he was the first one that I knew by name and that I was, like, obsessed with. Because he did, like, The Thing. He did that Twilight Zone movie. There was some crazy fucking effects in that. He did a whole bunch of really, really good shit. And I remember him explaining, like, an air bladder. And I watched, like, a you know, because, like, in the early days of HBO, there was a lot of making ofs. You know, like Ver- yeah, like Verity yeah, Noslin yeah. was very into the making of. Uh, yes, I was just thinking about that. She would watch a making Kidney. of of something. Kidney. that Yes. It's a making of. <gasps> it's a making of. And like, she didn't even have to be interested in what the making of was, was of. What was made. Oh, absolutely it was lo- As long as it was a making of, it does, it's, you know, it was very exciting. But I, I kind of get that. I, I kind of get yeah, that. Yeah. But I like watching a making of, and I think it was... I think it may have been The Howling, or it could, you know what, it, it probably was American Werewolf in London, now that I think about it. Like, watching some of, like, the like the transformation effects, where, like, the air bladders, uh-huh. and, and there would, you know, and in the making of, you'd see, like, all the little tubes, and they'd have, like, a little, a little squeeze bulb to, to, like, and then the, the cheekbones go bloop, and then the, you know... And I was like, that is so fucking cool. And I was also very into, like, the Muppets and things like that. And like mm-hmm. when Jim Henson creature shop started getting into really more like detailed, cool, non Muppety things, I was obsessed with that. And so be, being obsessed with the, the, how do they do that? I started really getting into horror movies that five years earlier, I wouldn't have been able to watch cause I would have been far yeah, too fucking yeah. scared because of the, yeah. But yeah. because I could watch something that was disgusting or horrifying or whatever but because my brain was going oh i see how they did that or oh i bet i know what that is or oh i bet that's caro syrup or whatever you know i could watch something even super gory and i would i wouldn't be freaked out by it because i would be focusing so much on how it was done and there was a there was a part of me that really really was like i could totally do that and I would get to hang out on a movie set all day and I could work in my little workshop and, and come up with all this shit. And even, I mean, God, to this day, I watch Walking Dead and I just scream and laugh 
at all the yep. at all the the gore effects and stuff because I fucking love that stuff. And but you know, but again, did I ever really do anything to try to get there? Except the one time that I almost had a shot. Do you remember when I used to live with the roommate who was basically a whore? Yeah. Um, yes. And she, you know, like, I, I mean, the, the ultimate story of why I would use whore and not slut was that, you know, she would go downtown to, you know, go drinking and dancing and she would have no money, but she knew that she could, that there would be guys buying her drinks all over the place. So she could get, Oh, she knew how to work. She knew how to get anything she wanted. She could get in anywhere. She could talk her way into anything. And then when it was time to come home, you know, it was not uncommon for me to wake up and my, my, the window in my bedroom faced the driveway, the little area where we parked. And it was not uncommon for me to look down there and go, oh, look, a cab in the morning because a cab driver brought her home and was still in the house. That sort of thing. But anyway, there was a time when, and I don't know how she knew this guy, but there was this guy and he was cute. I totally would have been interested in this guy. And he, you know, he starts sniffing around the house as the guys always did when she lived there. And this guy would, he started talking about his job. And I realized that he was a special effects guy and particularly effects makeup and building like latex gore props and things like body parts Mm -hmm. and shit and doing the makeup. And he, at that time had just started working on what was, you know, this would have been in the 90s, so whichever whichever Texas Chainsaw Massacre that would have been in, let's say, the mid-90s. Oh, God. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. I, know it, I know it was, it definitely wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't one because that was the 70s and it wasn't two. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre would go away for a while and then like 10 years go by then all of a sudden there's another one. And then it would, yeah, and it would appear again. You know, and it it would basically, it's like, it would be like, oh, is it a sequel? Is it a remake? I don't know. There's a billion of them. But whichever one that was, let's say four. I'm just, as a guess. Um, Yeah. He was working on it and he was talking one day about how it was a lot of work and he didn't have a lot of money to spend in his budget, Mm -hmm. but he, but it would be a good way to spend some of his budget to bring on an assistant. Mm -hmm. And of course I'm like, well, you know, I have always wanted to do stuff like that. And I know what an air bladder is. And you know, I'm trying to drop words into conversations, but you know, it doesn't matter because he doesn't want to fuck me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So of course he offers the job to my roommate who had no interest and didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But she still got as much sex out of it as she could. I even got, like one time I even went. Did she do it? Did she take the no. job? No. Well, 
okay. Even if she did, she didn't fucking know anything about that. Uh, yeah, she couldn't have done it. Yeah. I mean, she was always even if even if she had said, "Yeah, I want to do it," she wouldn't have lasted a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of like the way she used to talk about someday, you know, when I go to Harvard Law, she would always talk about how she was going to, oh, when please. I graduate from Harvard Law. And I'm like, bitch, you flunked out of Angelo's state. One yeah. semester of college. You know, you couldn't hack Angelo's state. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah that reminds me of... Uh... Little tangent here, it'll just last a second. But that reminds me so much of Von Lichtenstein's son. Oh, Jesus. Who thinks he's an engineer, even though he has all C's, D's, and F's in high school. Uh Uh-huh. And the only college that he applied for was MIT. (laughs) Oh, that's right, I remember that. That is the audacity of the mediocre white boy. Yep, and he had von Lichtenstein write his essay for him because (laughs) he flunked out all of his English classes, but he was going to get into MIT and be an engineer. And it didn't help anyway because he did not get into MIT. Oh, God fucking no. And he did not apply for any other college. (laughs) But I swear to God, I mean, I have known, I have known a lot of delusional people in my time, and I guarantee you... Every single one of them has been a useless piece of shit white person who yep. who thought that just because they wanted something that that meant it was going to happen. I mean, I, I deep down I knew no one was going to just hand me a job in a theater company, you know. But I obviously I wasn't going around telling everyone I was going to do it either. Yeah. But like yeah. this guy, I you know I went to his house and his house was basically his workshop. You know he had. Oh, that's so. Cool. There was like a bedroom. Off to the side that I am not exaggerating from the middle of the room. It was so fucking. Anyone else would have walked in there and thought he was a maniac and they would have called the cops. Mm-hmm. I walk in there and I'm just like squealing with delight because I'm not exaggerating. There was a in the middle of the ceiling. There was like this big meat hook thing hanging and it was like a human torso with no heads, arms or legs. <laughs> See, that's fake. Like this gutted human torso that was obviously fake, but it looked really good, though, mm-hmm. because I wasn't walking in there thinking anything was real, and his place was just filled with supplies and stuff he was noodling around with, like things he was trying to see if he could build and whatever, and I'm just like, oh my god, I had such a stiffy from walking yeah. into that place, but nope, he wasn't going to hire me. So, you know, but God, what what would my life have been like if I had become the uh, assistant to the effects guy I, on a yeah, Texas Chainsaw I think Massacre about movie? that, too. If I had, like, you know, taken opportunities that were offered me that I said no to. Oh, my God. You know, I really, really regret that. But 30 years ago, well, almost 30 years ago, and, you know, my life has been nothing but adventure, so what the fuck, but well, sure. I always wonder. Yeah. Breathe deeply, deeply, the year of woo. You know how YouTube has these algorithms that predict what it thinks you want to watch? Well, the other day, it was my birthday, and it was as if YouTube knew 
and decided to give me a gift that would change my life forever. Because on my birthday, I learned about flower essences. Now you're probably thinking tinctures. That's what I was thinking. Because what else could it be? So foolish, so sheltered, so ignorant of the lengths to which a blonde hippie chick in a crisp white blouse would go to blow your mind. So, her name is Heidi Smith. Heidi, because of course it is. She's quite Nordic looking, like she was probably an extra in Midsummer. And according to her bio on this video, she is, are you sitting down? She is a psychosomatic therapist. Those are her words. And I checked, there really isn't a definition of psychosomatic therapy that doesn't describe it as woo as fuck. She is also a flower essence practitioner, hence her making this amazing video. Now this video is called How to Make Your Own Flower Essences, and friends, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I will tell you a lot about it, but you really need to experience her airy-fairy bullshit for yourself. Because she talks about responsible wild crafting and other words that aren't fucking real. So I'm going to let you hear just a little of her. I don't want you to get too excited. Ooh. Um, you would want to be in the morning um, making your flower essence because uh, you want to access the dew that's on the plants and dew is a very cosmic water source and it has a lot of significance in the alchemical tradition and flower essences are part of that alchemical tradition. Before you set out to collect your flowers and you've, uh, dis you've decided on a plant, perhaps it calls to you, you're curious about it and you've determined that it's not poisonous or endangered. And if it is, you can just allow the bowl of water to be near those flowers. You don't actually have to pick them. You just allow the gesture of the plant to kind of go into the bowl of water. That's totally acceptable. Before I formulate, before I wildcraft, I like to close my eyes and ground and say a prayer. And then I get my bowl, which I've already uh, filled with northern blue violets today. Those are the flowers that I'm working with today. Ooh. So one minute she's like, eh, just sit the bowl of water next to the plant. That's cool. And then it's fill it to the top of the bowl with the flowers. But you know, I didn't do that today because I don't always do that and it's fine. And I used a blade of grass to pick the flowers because vibrations and energy and purity at the highest level to highlight the power of the plant and This might sound silly, um, but if you are connected to attuning with the plant, it'll let you know if it doesn't want to be picked right now. And if, it, if that's the case, then you can come back to it later, perhaps, or move on to another plant. Oh my god. So then, this bowl of water that has some flowers in it, or hey, maybe it's just near a plant or whatever, it sits in the sun to solarize for a few hours, and that's when she 
meditates or, you know, just takes a nap because it's so relaxing to wildcraft. And you're going to get all this intuition or guidance or wisdom coming in through the plant. And you should write it down in your notebook because this is science, motherfucker. And honestly, if you're going to get any wisdom at all from these plants, it's going to be Bitch, why you cut off my flowers when you know you can just sit your stupid bowl next to me? And it's just as good, and all you're fucking doing is plopping them in water for a bit, and then scooping them out with a fucking leaf or something, and saying thank you to them, and dropping them on the ground, where they aren't even doing the bees any goddamn good, but hey, you do you, you dizzy fucking hippie. Can you tell I love this? And then the bitch isn't even using all the water in the bowl. She pours a tiny bit into a brown bottle and then just dumps the rest into the grass. Are you kidding me? Oh, but before that, she likes to drink a little of the water. And I howled because I bet some diseased raccoon peed on those plants right before the magical cosmic dew fell on them. And now she's drinking raccoon piss and I hope she dies. I won't even go into what she says this stupid, slightly dirty water is even for, or what she does with it, but I did a little Googling, and here's something from a Flower Essences FAQ. With flower essences, only the flowers are used, and in a very small quantity. The vibrational imprint of the flower is extracted in water which is then further diluted. Thus, essential oils are a physical extract, and flower essences are a subtle energy extract. So essential oils, which are actually something and yet still nothing, are a whole other thing from essences, which are water that sat in the sun near a plant one time before some hippie diluted it in even more water, but go ahead and pretend it's a thing. Again to the FAQ. Are flower essences safe? While some herbs can be poisonous in their action and through overdosing, flower essences are safe to use. Flower essences can be safely taken in conjunction with herbal remedies. Because they are water! <sighs> you guys, it's so good. I'm linking it in the show notes. Give her 15 minutes. It's so worth it. If I never went to Texas and I just stayed here. No shit, right? I always wonder that, you know. I mean, I, I mean, I know that even though I, I came here when I, you know, I had just turned 15. And at the time, I was sure that my life was over and it was terrible. But in a lot of ways, it really was the best thing that could have happened to me because even though it wasn't apparent to the outside world, I was on a downhill slide that was not going to get any better when I was like 13, 14 years old. And even though there were parts of my life that were great, like getting into Doctor Who fandom and meeting Pitney, 
But there, but oh like the God, rest the Doctor of Doctor Who fan club saved my life. Oh my God! Yours too. <laughs> anyway, I mean, you know, kids these days, like even the people who got really into Doctor Who in, in more recent years, is it is it saving anyone's life? I mean, I I like to think that it is, but I can't imagine because the world was just so different back then. Mm-hmm. Oh God, yeah. I mean, anyway, yeah. but yeah, but like I, you know, moving to Texas when I did. It seemed horrible, but in so many ways, I, without even trying that hard, my grades improved a million times because I had no friends and I was living in the middle of fucking nowhere. So I had nothing else to do but my goddamn homework, which in mm-hmm. ninth grade, oh, fuck homework. I mean, it's like, I, oh, God, I, I was like, why should I try to do anything? I don't care about anything. And it was like. It's, it's weird because I look back at that now and go, who the hell was that? Like, there's phases of my life where it's like, how am I all one person? Like, you know? yeah. but at the same time, you know, it's like, I, I never had, I, I was never a kid that had like a vision of this is what my life is going to be like. Like, I never had a goal to work toward. Even in oh, college, I picked a major because I was interested in it. But I never once thought, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, really? I'm going to be an anthropologist? That's a job yeah, that you can have? Goal, <laughs> my only goal ever was to go to sci-fi conventions <laughs> and make costumes. That was my only goal right. ever. And for a while, you, know, you kind I, of did yeah, that as a I job. I still am like that. It's like, all I've ever wanted to do in my life is nothing. Kind of, Yeah. I, I want to do just enough that I can afford to do nothing. probably not a good thing, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, truly, I mean, the, you know, granted, I have been an employee of the federal government since 1993. And when I took that job, it was not because I, I always wanted to be a civil servant. It was because they paid $7 an hour and I could sit down. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to talk to people. And that first that first year I worked there, I had a manager who used to come over and say that I needed to talk more. Yeah. <laughs> because I wasn't being sociable and like people were worried that I was I don't know, they thought I was weird because I didn't talk. And I'm like, you know, it was it was kind of hard to explain to you know, to your manager, I got hired for a data entry job and I don't actually know how to type, so I'm literally learning how to type while I'm typing for a living. So if everyone could just leave me alone, I have a lot of concentrating to do. Because I didn't know shit about typing. Because that's how useless I was in school. It did. Everyone else took typing. They should have required it. Why was that not a required oh, course? Oh, I took it. Everyone took it but me. I did well in it, but I remember I took Everyone it. Everyone took it but me. I don't know why I didn't take it. I didn't feel like it. And then when I was in college, my mom typed all my papers for me. Yeah. Oh, and I remember one year, one day in typing class. I don't remember the wise <laughs> but the typing teacher let me play the elder album in class oh, oh. and we listened to probably the whole first side of the elder can, in typing class can we talk can we talk about music from the elder a little bit <laughs> Hi, this is Two Girls on a Bench, the podcast. So we're two writers who tend to procrastinate just a bit. 
We like to snack. We like to talk. We don't have time to write, but we have time to do this podcast. We certainly do. Join us on the bench. Listen in. At number two, Girls on a Bench. Because um, one of a friend of mine who is who is a loyal listener, my friend Frito, he recently listened to it for the first time ever, and he has been a Kiss fan since he was a child. But there was a period. Uh, but he never heard. The no, because remember, so because remember how there was this. Okay, for the for we're just gonna get a little brief Kiss history there. So. You know, Kiss was like the biggest fucking thing in the world. And then they kind of went poof a little bit. Like the general public mm-hmm. was not really aware they were still around. And and the thing was that they did some experimenting with different music. Like they kind of, I mean, they kind of made a disco album a little bit. And even they didn't seem to want to admit that they made a disco album, but they did. And then they made like like a kind of an early 80s pop album and I mean and you know basically the band was falling apart and band people like people weren't showing up to be on albums and things were kind of a mess and then people started leaving and then uh but there was this weird period where I you know wasn't it about the same time as when like Sticks Paradise Theater album was like the biggest fucking thing in the world um no, because that was junior high for me. Yeah. That was when Dynasty was current. That was that was lined up with Dynasty? Yeah, really? that was lined up with Dynasty. And I know that because the last big summer I spent at Russian River at the, at the River oh, House. Okay. I remember us listening to a cassette of that Sticks album. And at the oh same God. time, I had the I Was Made For Loving You 45 and I had not gotten the album yet. Oh, wow. Okay. See, Pitney has so, real-time yeah. Kiss memories. I had to learn about Kiss in the 90s, which is a little <laughs> strange. So the reason why I was trying to tie it with Paradise Theaters because, is because, like, prog rock was kind of starting to take popular hold in, like, the general music sphere as opposed to people who only listen to rock radio or whatever and what so what year was music from the elder that what let me see wait wait okay paradise theater came out in 81 okay yeah because it was it was my senior when kiss was cheering for dynasty okay yeah because paradise theater was my sister's senior year of high school yeah and uh That the album came out in late 79, but, you know. Dynasty. But the, Dynasty. Right, which is the disco album. But let's see, Music of the Elder. Oh, you were right. It came, it came out, it came out in November of 81. Did it? When, when did Unmasked, when did Unmasked come out then? What order was that? God, I am way confused what? Then. Let's see. So, Quick, we're gonna have some little little time passing music play here for a minute yeah. while Pitney Googles something he should know by heart. Nineteen eighty. 
Unmasked came out in 1980. Okay. Dynasty came out in... That makes sense because that was... Because Unmasked was right when Peter left. Peter left right after that. And I had a Teen Beat magazine from 1980 that talked about Peter Chris leaving Kiss. Yeah, because I guess... Because that's... I remember that summer we were at the River House and we listened to that Sticks album. Right. But I remember playing over and over... I was made for loving you. Oh my god! The forty-five, and then the flip side of the forty-five was hard times. <gasps> Ooh, that's that interesting. That I wouldn't have expected yeah. that. That's interesting. And I had not had that album yet. Okay. Oh my god. Okay, so. But yeah, the elder came out in November of eighty-one. So you're right; it is contemporary. Okay. Look yeah. at me. Look how smart I am. But so so anyway, so you know, just setting the scene for all these people out here who have no idea about what Kiss album came out. So Music from the Elder was kind of their stab at the prog rock sort of thing. But it was kind of I now now let me let me ask you this. What I, I I'm trying because I'm trying to remember if this was just how you described it to me or if this was actually what it was supposed to be. That it was it was intended that there would be a movie, that there was some sort I, of a that's story. That's my understanding. Yeah. That this. Yeah, that's my understanding. right. That this movie was this album was sort of like the soundtrack of a movie that ended up not actually happening. Eventually, they like within the last twenty years or so, they released like a comic book that yeah. was the story because oh god, someone had to do it. I mean, it's like. Those of us that like the album, it's like I would have, I would have wanted to see that movie for fuck's sake. But the thing was, when I was, I was very resistant. In what would that have been ninety three when you moved to Texas? Mm-hmm. I was very yeah. resistant. Yeah. He, Pitney had always wanted me to be a Kiss fan, and I was like, what? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why would I want to listen to them? And I just, I don't know what. When I think back, it's so funny. Like, I don't know what I thought they would sound like. Like, I knew Beth. Like, that was literally the only Kiss song I'd ever heard because it was on AM Easy Listening Radio. Which is so not remotely. No, but it was the only song I would have ever heard in my life. I had no concept. I think I had seen, I, I I was surprised later to see the cover of Rock and Roll Over because that, that, graphic on the cover of that album i had seen that when i was a kid living in kansas the people across the street Mm -hmm. from us who had this awesome basement rec room they had a jukebox and they had a pinball machine and they had a a pool table all in their rec room and their jukebox was kind of plain but the bottom they it must have been their son it was like a like a sticker of what the cover of Rock and Roll Over looked like, but it was almost like That's a clear cool. vinyl sticker. Is the only way I can explain. That's, That's the cool. only way because I would have thought that that was part of the jukebox because it really looked like part of it, like this light up panel that had that on it. It was really uh-huh. badass, and I never knew what that was. But it, it made such an impression on me that when I saw that album in the '90s, I instantly recognized it as that sticker. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like, I I was, like I said, I was resistant. And, you know, they had just come out with this album, Revenge, which was, that would have, that was 93. They had just come out with it, right? Yeah, and God damn it, that was a good album. Yeah, and I, I really, that was one of the first ones I really loved. But one night, Pitney goes, because um, he, had, he had moved to Texas and he didn't have 
much stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Got nothing. I sold everything. He sold everything yeah. because he basically, he shipped a couple of boxes to my apartment and then he got on a train. He sold his car. He got rid of everything. Yeah. Got on a train with like a suitcase and that was all he had. And he just moved into my yeah. apartment for a little while. And so he was like, buy, like in thrift stores, I guess, buying cassettes of old Kiss albums, mm-hmm. you know, that he yeah. hadn't had in a long time. And one night he was just like, I want you to hear this album. Like he knew that music from the elder was going to be the thing that turned me. And I just, I remember so well, I lay, I was laying on the couch with my eyes closed and just letting the music from the elder wash over me. And by the end of that album, I was a Kiss fan. Because that is such a good album. It's so fucking good. But... Back to Fredo, the thing that happened in the world was that the people, a lot of KISS fans were like, what the fuck is this? Like between the disco album and the pop album and whatever, they were just like, this is not the band I signed up for. And they just walked away. And that was why KISS went from being huge to being kind of nothing. Because a lot of rock radio was like, fuck those guys. And a lot of their fans just walked off. And some of yeah. it was like, you know, if you were, what, eight, nine years old when you first got into Kiss? Yeah. And I, I think... Yeah. and uh, Yeah, about nine, yeah. And I think Frida was about that age. But Frida also is, like, three years younger than me. Yeah, because he was... When, when, when I met him, I was a senior and he was a freshman. He went to school with my sister. And he still does not understand how we're... How she and I are sisters. <laughs> As everyone who meets us should feel exactly that same way. So uh, somehow he had just missed it. And one day he and I were just chatting online and, and he was asking me about that album. And I'm like, dude, you go listen to it right fucking now. I was like, no, 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 no. Not one more minute can go by in your life. You have to. And, and like an hour later I get, I get a text from him and he's like, well, God damn it! It's the best thing they ever did. How the fuck have I, I left? <laughs> and I'm like, I know because the world was telling you they sucked, and that's why you didn't listen to them anymore. It was such a, and I remember I was so fanatical about that album. This isn't there anymore. It is. Uh, it's either a hotel or low income apartments now. Okay. But right down the street from my house uh-huh. was. KSJO. Oh my God! Which was, yes. you know, the second rock radio station here in San Francisco. Right, right. Right? Oh my God. And I was such a fanatical KISS fan, and I was probably, what, 12 or 13. I went down to KSJO. Oh my God. And I went into the office and demanded to talk to the person that was in charge of what they played on the radio. And I wanted to know why they were not playing The Elder. (laughs) I love that so much. I've never heard that story. Oh, my God. And he was was really nice to me. I'm sure he was. He was very nice to me. I think he probably had a good laugh after I left. Oh, my God. And I don't think, and it probably was not even ill-meant towards me, but you know he had a good laugh after I left. And I gotta say... And he was like, well, what songs... He was like, okay, well, what two songs off this album... Right. ...do you think 
that we should play. I. I know you said I. I I is such a great song. But the embarrassing thing that I should not have said. Did you say Odyssey? I said Odyssey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Odyssey. See, that's me laying on the couch with my eyes closed listening to that album. Odyssey is the one song I specifically remember the first time I heard it. It's a fucking amazing It's so amazing, but I'm not kidding. I am laying there. Okay, okay, basically, it is... It is a schmaltzy Paul Stanley ballad, right? It's fantastic. It is so, it is so good. So though. fucking and good. He sings his fucking ass off. Oh my god, it was beautiful. But I'm oh, I'm laying song. there oh because god. I was just not knowing anything about what I was getting into. I just let the album create a movie in my head. Like it just whatever imagery came up, I just went with it. And I am not kidding. I still, I cannot hear that song without picturing Paul standing on a cliff with the with the oh. wind, with the sea breeze blowing. And it's amazing because the costume that he had that you have the big poster of, the, um, the unmasked thing where it's like pink strips that kind of form the shape of like a yeah. billowy piratey shirt. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think that's what it was supposed to be. But... I had never seen that before. I had no visual reference. I instantly pictured him in a pinkish purple billowy pirate shirt. Uh, like with his chest. And I'm looking and at his, that poster right now. I'm looking, looking at, at it right, right now. now. I know. <laughs> and it's like I, you know, with just being the beautiful creature that he is and just singing this song and he's totally singing it to me and I am swooning and it is like I mean I am not one of those Wuthering Heights you know romance on the moors kind of bullshit I am not that person <laughs> yeah. but god damn it the the image of Paul Stanley on a cliff with the sea breeze blowing his hair back and blowing oh, his shirt open yeah. by the way and it's just like that is just Oh, mwah. chef's kiss. Mwah. <laughs> and now, holy <okay>. fuck. <laughs> so Odyssey, the song Odyssey, brings back a memory <laughs> of Trisha Vaughn. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> and this is, you know, we've talked about how Trisha von Lichtenstein is a combination of a type of people that we've known, right? Yes, she... she we we have we have revealed moments here and there that Trisha von Lichtenstein started out being one particular person, but then we realized that we've actually known a lot of Trishas. Yes. And so, but I'm assuming you're talking original Trisha, OG this Trisha. Is Trisha. Okay. This is the Trisha of Bunny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, just keep listening to the past episode and find out. Bunny. Yeah. Bunny. Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> but Trisha von Lichtenstein, and actually I met Trisha through Kiss fandom because I was at Baycon. Oh! And Trisha was with her group dressed as Kiss in their Love Gun costumes. Right. I, I think I, I think you had and pictures. And I had gone up to talk to mm. them. Oh my God. Because they were Kiss fans. You know, we had a conversation, whatever. I took some pictures, right. whatever. Right. Never thought about it again. And then I was in 
God, Hancock Fabrics. Of course. On the El Camino. El Camino and Lawrence Fuck Expressway. Yeah. Hancock Fabrics. <laughs> and um, this woman comes up to me and she was like, I know you. Oh, but you didn't recognize her because she wasn't in her makeup. Uh, yeah. Ah! And it was, it was her, but I didn't recognize her because I had only ever met her in Paul's exactly. makeup with the wig. Exactly. Oh, my God. Because she was blonde and she had the brunette wig. Right. And, you know, I didn't oh, know. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how we became friends because oh she helped me. That was my first costume that I was ever working on. Oh, my Lord. She helped me pick the fabric and I ended up going over to her house and she helped me sew it. Oh, my God. That's how we became friends. Oh, my God. You had no idea Let's then what a fucking fandom. lunatic she was. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, my God. So, fanatical Kiss fan. Oh, fanatical God. Kiss fan. And she was like. You say Paul Stanley, and she pulls out the corn cob. You know, you are on such a corn cob <laughs> kick lately. <laughs> Fanatical, <laughs> but Verity Noslin told me one time that Trisha von Lichtenstein could not handle the song Odyssey because the references to the stallion in the mail. <laughs> We're so sensual, she couldn't handle it. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm not kidding. I'm oh. not making this up. And the thing is, it's not like that's a big reference. I mean, he literally just references a stallion and a mare. He doesn't go into it. It's one line, yeah. It's like on a mountain high somewhere. And a stallion and a mare. And the mare. Because it's like a fantasy film. Oh, god yeah, damn it. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a romantic thing, but. Oh! <laughs> But Noslin told that is me so fucking funny. that von Lichtenstein could not handle that song because <laughs> that image was too sensual. <laughs> Alright, so what you're saying is Trisha really wanted to fuck a horse. Is that what you're saying? I guess. Oh my god! Wow! Wow. And it would make sense because she's the one... That introduced me to, you know, and her obsession with, with the wolves. Her weird fan art that was Blackie Lawless with a wolf's body fucking somebody. Right. So, yeah, so maybe that was like a secret society of that kiss group. Oh! <laughs> wait, was. Because she was involved. That's okay. That too, because she was there at Carr. But Eric Carr wouldn't have been in the love gun thing. That's why I was confused. Because I know, I, and I'm going to his name until until we can come up with a with a good name for her. Yeah. I mean, we could just call her that. No, she wasn't that bitch. Because because Trisha was that bitch. Yeah, Trisha was. Wasp. That bitch. I think we said this once. We told the story once, but the band from the '80s, Wasp. Look them up. Uh, they, Trisha and this woman whose name I'm I'm bleeping because we haven't come up with a good nickname for her yet were such rabid Wasp fans that they would, like, show up at Blackie Lawless's house. And... Yeah, and, you know, every they show. They knew And them. Blackie would refer to her as, oh, the, oh yeah, oh, that, that bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, mother fuck. I'm... Okay. I am so... F yeah, but that's... But no, but they had... So they had... They had the Love Gun costume. Okay, right. right. And then which is was, a which, and if I remember right from the pictures, I remember that Trisha's 
Paul Stanley Love Gun era costume was fucking badass. Oh, it was fabulous. I mean, she could sew anything and make it look exact. She was a fabulous costume. And as we learned when we did our Kiss costumes, like, I mean, in the case of me having to do a Jean costume... Because Kiss, they, a lot of their costumes, well, Jean and Paul anyway, their chests were usually exposed. And so yeah. she had to change the way the upper part of his costume was to make it so that her boobs weren't hanging out. And, and, yeah. and she chose the perfect Paul costume to do that because of the way that the, that was made. Yeah. I, when I did my Jean Alive One era thing, I had to have just like a, a flesh-colored panel going down the middle to hide yeah. my enormity, yeah, in the chestal region. Hey, it worked. It did work. That was the, that was yeah. the amazing thing was that we, when I wasn't in the costume, it looked horribly disfigured because it was designed to be two straight lines going down my chest over the mountains. And so when I wasn't it in it, it went. We drew, remember, we drew the seam line on, on you. me. To make it straight. I wore two. And then when we took it off, it was all crazy. Yes. But then I sewed it with those crazy curves. When you put it on, it was straight. Absolutely. I wore two unitards at the same time. Yep. Which, by the way, I don't like people using the word onesie when they're talking about something that isn't being worn by an infant. Yeah. Oh, It's a unitard. Or it's a union suit if it's like pajamas. No, it is not a onesie. It's a unitard. Freddie Mercury did not wear a onesie. No. So I wore, wore yes, two. He wore a unitard. I wore a reasonably matching my flesh tone unitard yeah. under a black long sleeved unitard. And, and you had remember, and you had the peekaboo thighs. Well, eventually, <laughs> but that was how that was yeah. how we that was how we figured out and did the lines going down yeah. where the, where it got sewn and then we it got no I guess we sewed it inside out and then it was I mean it's a it was a phenomenal thing we had to come up I don't remember it was so long ago but I remember that was quite a process yeah. there were so many things about my Gene Simmons costume that were that involved a lot of just sitting and thinking about it. Like, how the fuck are we going to do this? But we knew we could. And because I, I kind of have an engineering brain, even though I don't actually know how to do the things I need to do, but I know how to figure out how it can be done. Mm -hmm. And that costume had so many pieces that it was like, how the fuck are we going to do that? And we did it. And we did it. God damn it. And it's still in there. I can't fit in it anymore. You know, and really, <laughs> I, and I owe all of my costuming brilliance really to Trisha. Yeah. Because she taught me. And it was just observing her making costumes over the years. Yeah. And all the weird things that you could do and all the, like, the non-sewing things that you bring into sewing oh, to yeah. do certain costumes. Sure. That, I, she's the one that, yeah, so I owe that all to her. Oh, yeah. But, um, it, yeah, but, 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 you know, she was a hanger on her. Should we call her maybe 
would Hellraiser be a good name for? Oh, maybe. I think because it's generic <laughs> enough, it it has meaning yeah. only to you oh, and I. Oh yes, because it does have meaning. Yes, you could be Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Okay, so from this point on in the show, we will refer to her as Hellraiser. Everything from Hellraiser. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> so when I got brought into their fold, she made for me the Vinnie Vincent costume. Oh my because god! They had an Ace, Peter, Paul, Jean, and Eric, but they didn't have a Vinny, so I was their Vinny. Yeah, Vinny Vincent was the guy who took Ace Frehley's place. Yeah, right at the so end I of the makeup, and then he was the guy when they took their makeup off. He was the ugly guy, and he looks who looks exactly like Lily Tomlin, <laughs> only when he's making certain faces. <laughs> <laughs> but I was their Vinny. Oh my god. And making that Vinny costume. Oh my god. With Trisha, that showed me so much. Oh sure. Jesus. Really, really affected my life as far as that taught me how to sew and how to costume. Oh yeah. Oh shit. You know, and so I will be forever grateful for that. Well and oh, for god. the memories. But well, sure, there were good times. That, you know, fuck that bitch. <laughs> I mean, you know, there were all the good times, and then there was uh, Penny Velvet. There were a lot of good Can, times. Is, is Penny Velvet something we can do really quick and before we wrap up the show? Adventures in Psychosis with Trisha von Lichtenstein. Penny Velvet. Penny Velvet. <laughs> so um, when Penny was first trying to make costume pieces and stuff and then like work in the vendor's room in conventions, we would go to a lot of conventions and have a vendor's table and sell shit uh, we may have mentioned that story before because that, or maybe we have we have we told the Marion Zimmer Bradley is a cunt story. Oh, absolutely, yes, absolutely. We may have, but yes. this is not the time for that because because this yes. was going back to Bacon, which was the ultimate going home sort of thing for Pitney, and because it was like you know the the mothership of all conventions, yeah, and. And we God, had you I know made a lot of money at that con. Jesus Christ! With some really shitty merchandise, actually. We, looking back, we never topped the sales. Yeah, I worked. The my work got ass better on all that stuff, but looking back, it was real. The quality wasn't as good as the later stuff, but I worked. Hard I think on it. it's because you didn't want to invest so much yet because it was new, and then yeah. and then you got more creative and and more daring, and then no one wanted to buy anything anymore. Yeah. It really sucked. Yeah. But anyway. so at one point, um, <laughs> we see we knew that there was a good chance that we were going to run into Trisha and or Verity. At yes. this convention. Because, of course, they would be there. And they didn't really know me the way they could have. Like, the way that I knew them. Like, because they didn't have, like, lore about me. I knew yeah. them because I knew of them. And I, you know, I'd only met Trisha, like, once. 
like Trisha and Hellraiser, yeah. I met them at the first time con, and I don't think I don't think I ever saw them again. Well, I don't think I ever saw Hellraiser again in person ever. But then Trisha, this was the only other time I think that I actually saw her in person. And let's just say we're, we're, we're working in the dealer's room. We're sort of in the middle of the dealer's room. So we have like a view of the door. Trisha walks in and Pitney dives under the table. Yes. Yeah. Because he suddenly could not handle the possibility of having to talk to her. And I was like, all right, be cool. Be cool. This is fine. And she and some friend of hers come by, and they're just, like, looking at the merchandise. No, but they, her friend bought something, bought one of the necklaces. Well, yeah, one of the pouch necklaces, yeah. yeah. Because it was a lot of sort of Ren Faire-inspired stuff, because yeah. that was, like, I mean, he could whip that stuff out. Like, yeah. You know, pouches, oh, yeah. hats, like, you know, bag hats. And like peasant shirts, yeah. Peasant shirts, you know, uh, just all kinds of really cool, very simple little stuff, like little, like pouches and purses and mm-hmm. things that you would just, you know, Renny people would understand. And, uh, you know, they're just sort of hmm, hmm, looking at the stuff on the table. And I'm just like, yeah, hey, you know, we're just kind of getting started. Blah, blah, blah. And then Trisha, because, you know, she is, you know, the queen of costuming and so yeah. on and whatnot. She has very strong opinions about things. And the main thing I remember, I remember she picked up, it wasn't, I remember it well enough to know that it wasn't a bag hat that she picked up. It was a flat. One oh, of those okay. flat hats okay. that has like the brim. She picks it up, looks at it, and just like tosses it back on the table and goes, Penny Velvet. Uh. <laughs> like, as if there's, I mean, even the cheapest velvet would have been at least ten dollars a year yeah, back was then. Doing There's the no goddamn best I such could. thing. And it's like, okay, so it wasn't fifty dollar a yard velvet, oh, yeah. seventy five dollar a yard, but it wasn't there's no such thing as penny velvet. Yeah, but oh my god, I remember yes, I remember, I was hiding under the table. He was hiding. So he got to hear it, but it wasn't it wasn't until she walked away and was far enough away that I could give him the signal that he was allowed to stand Oh up my god, that's so funny. It was quite a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did we see Nozlin? No. No, we didn't we see did. her that weekend. I and I don't I don't think we ever knew why. Maybe she was having an asthma attack. <laughs> yeah, maybe there maybe the fragrance in the dealer's room was too strong. God damn it. You know, she was afraid that, you know, there was some sort of chemical finish on some fabric in there and she was going to have to go to emergency. Oh my, that would be a good name for a band. Chemical finish. I was, I was literally just thinking that if you had ever, if you would ever become a drag queen, if you ever like decided to seriously be a drag queen, I think your name would have to be Penny Velvet. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our show, please take a moment to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. 
If you send us a screenshot of your review, we'll send you a Bitchin' Boutique sticker. Everyone loves stickers! Please subscribe or add us to your favorites wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribers get new episodes first and are also more attractive. Drop us a line anytime at pitneyandamelia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I've ever wanted to do in my life is nothing.